Today we welcome Marie Gibbons. Marie has masses of experience in the cultured meat space and displays a huge enthusiasm for the industry. She has a lot of very important information to share from her experiences working around the world with a number of pioneering companies. One of them being Upside Foods, which was recently in the news for getting permission to sell its chicken in the USA and then straight away selling it. Marie talks to us about farmers, biomass, mushrooms, how much it costs to produce meat, behavioural change and glow-in-the-dark chicken nuggets and much, much more. I'm Alex Crisp and this is the Future of Food podcast. Uh, you're in Malmo, but you're American. Can you tell us uh, a little bit um, about how you came to be there? Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I have spent the past eight years um, studying and growing uh, cultivated meat. And I have had the luxury of doing that in many different places. Um, this is technically the fourth continent that I have worked on now and, and grown meat on. So don't know how many people can say that, but I am definitely one of them. Um, yeah, and I uh, I think there's just a lot of value in being able to travel around and see how other people do things, um, and then at the same time be able to, to share my experiences as well. And so even if I, you know, don't stay somewhere for a super duper long time, I know that I'm able to get a lot of really incredible experience and also bring a lot of value to the industry in that area. Uh, that being said, I do plan on staying in Malmo long term. Um, so I've definitely started uh uh, kind of settling down here and um, it's you know it's, it's easy to form roots when you've co-founded a company in an area so yeah okay. so um, you've been interested in this space for a long time then by the sounds of it you said eight years eight years yeah back right. in 2015 is when I started started dabbling in the industry um, but uh, yeah, my original, um, you know, my, my original interest uh, is, is very original and current interest is very much around uh, the environmental impact as well as animal welfare. So I, mm -hmm. I grew up on a farm, um, but it was a more of a hobby farm than a working farm. And so all of the farm animals that I had were, were more pets than they were, you know, uh, products, I guess. And so I've never really seen the difference between like a chicken and a cow and a dog, you know, the, the way that most people love their dogs and cats that's how I feel about uh, dogs and cats as well but also you know chickens and, and pigs and cows and goats and all of the sweet little farm animals um, so when I found out where meat came from I think I was in middle school or maybe early high school um, that was a you know very quickly became a vegetarian thank you PETA videos uh, for <laughs> showing me how how awful it is there um, and then also, when I was in high school, I took some uh, courses in environmental science and kind of realized that, you know, we were, we were being taught about the impact that animal agriculture has on the world. And so it just became very clear to me that this is, you know, this is a really, really big problem um, that we, we can't keep doing this. I uh, decided to become a veterinarian, so studying, studying to be a vet and started working with farm animals. And the goal was to kind of fix things from the inside and, you know, promote more humane um, handling and using pain medication during surgeries and, you know, trying to go green and, you know, figure out ways to make farming more uh, environmentally friendly. And 
the the things that I saw, the things that I experienced, the things that I art in were just, it was just like living in a horror movie. Um, just the the things that the things that happen to animals on on these farms is we will not talk about it just in the event that anyone listening is eating. <laughs> but it just it uh, it really clicked with me that you know there was really no fixing this um, when animals are seen as a product. Uh, you know, that's the that's the first thing that's going to go when, um, you know, when money becomes an issue. So if if you have to choose between giving pain medication to a, a goat when you're, you know, cutting off their testicles or, you know, not giving that goat medication so that you can afford to feed your family that night, you know, everyone is going to choose to feed their family. Um, and so it's, you know, we've just kind of gotten ourselves into this system where society is demanding cheap meat. And the only way to make meat cheaply is, you know, to, to cause animals to suffer and to destroy the environment. Um, so yes, I decided, okay, not going to be a veterinarian, cannot be involved in this. Um, but obviously, uh, the world isn't going to go vegan overnight. Um, and so what, what can I do to, uh, to, to, you know, to give people the option of eating meat um, that is still, you know, 100% meat that they know and love, um, but doesn't have that environmental footprint and doesn't have that uh, that association with hurting animals. Um, so that's that's how I, I started getting into it. I ended up reaching out to a New Harvest and the Good Food Institute, and they agreed to fund my master's degree. Um, and that was just focused uh, 100% on large-scale cultivated meat production. And um, I started that over at uh, NC State University and then had the opportunity to move to Harvard Medical School to wrap up the degree, which was really, really exciting. Um, got to do a lot of fun stuff with cell line development and, um, you know, engineering cells to grow in suspension and not need growth factors and all that, all that fun stuff. And played around a little bit with mammoth meat and glow-in-the-dark chicken nuggets. <laughs> so, yeah. And then uh, then from there, I moved over to Upside Foods um, and founded their media development department, um, really focusing on removing the animal components from the media for obvious reasons. You know, we can't, uh, can't grow <laughs> sustainable meat if we're using baby cow blood to grow it. Um, and then from there, I jumped over to Val Foods over in Sydney and got to play around with a whole bunch of different species and cell types. Um, and then I moved over to, to South Africa and joined joined Mazanti Meats. They're a really mission-driven team, um, also very, very focused on animal welfare, which is, uh, yeah, very, very close to my heart. And the other cool thing is that they can uh, make meat really, really cheaply. Um, I think part of it is is because they're in South Africa and um, they just have access Access to really cheap resources, and so it's really, really exciting um, that they're that they're able to do that. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's actually where I uh, met Jacob and Gitan. Um, and then from there, uh, you know, Jacob and Gitan, my, my co-founders at uh, Remeet, they're really, really focused on on just scaling up the industry. Um, I think there's there's a there's a bit of a bottleneck right now when it comes to um, focus in the industry. It's uh, you know, there's so much R and D. So many people are focused on ah, let's make a T-bone steak. We're going to, you know, use all of this tissue engineering research and, and regenerative medicine research to grow a, you know, the perfect, <laughs> the perfect uh, piece of meat. Um, and then, you know, after they focus on that for, for 10 years and they get to a point where they are ready to scale it up, you know, we're all kind of like, oh, okay, well, how do we do that? 
Um, and so far, uh, you know, I think the industry has made the very intuitive decision to look to um, to look to biopharma for you know guidance on how to grow cells and grow meat on a very large scale. But um, unfortunately, well, I guess. Fortunately, unfortunately, it depends on how you see it. Biopharma has the luxury of charging around ten million dollars a kilogram per product that they that they uh, churn out of their of their uh, biopharmaceutical factories, and I don't think we're going to be able to sell meat at ten million dollars a kilogram. So um, that's what we're focusing on right now is is figuring out how to drop the cost of production. So that's uh, ten million dollars per kilo. Is that standard across? across the production you know across the world is that what people are are producing it no, I think, I think it's sorry so that 10 the 10 million dollars a kilo is a that's an example of how much biopharmaceutical companies can charge like cancer medication so that's not how much it currently right. costs to produce meat um but it is kind of an example of uh, how the system that is currently being used to produce biopharmaceuticals needs to change drastically if we're going to apply it to producing meat because we don't have the luxury of selling our meat products at 10 million dollars a kilogram um the biopharmaceutical industry is very open to collaboration i think a lot of the um you know a, a lot of uh, the capex that has gone into building some of these factories that are currently being built or currently being run by um by other cultivated meat companies you know, a lot of those materials are coming from from biopharma. So I think biopharma is very, you know, happy to collaborate very much on board. Um, I think the the challenge here is, um, you know, not only identifying where those high price points are coming from, but also then developing uh, new technologies and new systems that allow for us to avoid those high price points. So for example, um, if you look at, you know, a, a big chunk of the cost that goes into factory production is, is something called steam in place. Um, and it's a process that's been used for decades to uh, to clean um, to clean bioreactors on a large scale. And it's you virtually designing these bioreactors and designing these systems um, to be autoclaves in addition to in addition to uh, vessels used to to cultivate cells and and, and meat and produce. Uh, uh, biopharmaceuticals. Um, and, and in doing so, you know, you kind of automate the process and you make things a lot more sterile and it makes sense because it's very similar to what we do in the lab, which is, you know, we have a, a little, you know, virtually glorified prep cooker, which is an autoclave. And that's what we use to kind of clean our lab equipment. Um, and so, you know, I think half a century ago when we we're starting to scale this up it was very intuitive to say ah okay well instead of having a big giant autoclave and use that to to clean everything individually let's just build a whole bunch of things that can also be auto that single time we do a run uh, we can sterilize it um, but the issue is that all of the materials that go into building reactors that can maintain that really high heat and that high pressure um, as, as well as as the steam um, and the materials that go into all the pipes and the valves are needed to kind of transfer the steam into the reactor and, and remove it afterwards. All of that stuff is extremely expensive and it's usually mm -hmm. made out of stainless steel because it needs to be able to withstand such high heat and high temperature. 
um, I'm sorry, high heat and high pressure. Um, and so if we are able to develop technologies that avoid steam in place, uh, we would be able to drop the cost of factories significantly. And that's actually some some of the things that we're working on right now at Remeet um, is, is being able to remove steam in place. Um, and so that, you know, that also allows us to use uh, more uh, sustainable and cheaper uh, materials as well. So we don't necessarily have to rely on stainless steel. Okay. And so Remeet, that is based there in Malmo, is this? Or have you? you and uh, how long has that uh, company been formed? Yes, we will be a year old in October. Okay. And so you, mm -hmm. and, and do you have all your processing labs all set up? I mean, are you kind of ready to produce? Which no. state are you at? <laughs> No, so we are, we're currently raising and, and we're looking to start developing a, a pilot plant. Um, but at the moment, we are still, we're still pretty early stages. Um, we're, we're still in the process of, you know, uh, patenting our technology, developing prototypes and just kind of uh, collecting the, the um, or collecting the, the additional players that we need in order to make this happen. So um, a lot of networking and, uh, you know, educating the, the community in Scandinavia because um, there, there isn't any cultivated meat uh, going on in, in Sweden at the moment. And it's, it's um, still pretty nascent in Scandinavia as a whole, which is surprising because it is uh, such an innovative area, um, mm. you know, geographically. Yeah. I mean, I've noticed, you know, I've spoken to a few people in Scandinavia um, uh, in regard to sort of fungi use. It's it seems it seems quite it seems quite sort of popular in that part of the world. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, I'm a big fan of fungi. And I think um, the opportunities to use fungi for meat alternatives are really exciting. Um my my only concern, uh, and, and to be clear, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't be pursuing fungi. Like I'm very, very much on board, big big supporter, big cheerleader for for the movement. Um, but my only concern is that right now, uh, Sweden is around uh, ten percent vegan vegetarian, and then omnivore. Um, I don't think that's necessarily reflective of the rest of the world. The rest of the world is probably a little bit lower when it comes to that, and I'm not sold on the idea of plant-based products actually shifting that much of the population's, you know, diet. I think that, um, you know, really incredible plant-based products have been around for a really, really long time, but behavioral change is really, really difficult. And I think mm -hmm. that, you know, there's there's just some innate, you know, blocks in people and, and they, they don't they don't want to eat their vegetables. You can't make friends with salad. They want to eat meat. Um, doesn't matter how good it tastes, how much it looks like meat, how much it feels like meat. If it's still made out of plants, there's just something there's there's something there that people are just not on board for. Um, at least not enough people that we need to get on board in order to avoid global catastrophe. Yes. Um, so that's where cultivated meat comes in. Well, I agree with you entirely there. You know, I think I think um, I think changing people's behaviors is a is a very tall order because people mm. have taken a long time to sort of get to this, uh, you know, part of evolution. It's not going to happen over a week that they kind of, you know, swap to a plant based diet. So yeah. you know, on your uh, on your profile, it says you are uh, a cultivated meat expert. And uh, I can, I you know, from what you've told me of your history, I can confirm that that's clearly true. You 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 clearly know a lot about it. So, how excited are you about the future of cultivated meat? 
while I, I will say that I'm a lot more excited about the future of cultivated meat than I am about the future that doesn't involve cultivated meat. Uh, because if this does not succeed, we will probably be fighting for clean water by the year 2040. So uh, how excited am I, am, am I about the future of cultivated meat? I mean, that's really the only future I see as, uh, as, as a good one. So very, very excited about it. And how likely do you think it, it's, it's going to happen soon? You know, um, how, how quickly do you think it'll be before we have sort of cultivated meat in the supermarkets? Oh, I I don't know. Um, you know, I'm hoping within the next 10 years, but there are so many variables, so many challenges, so many unknowns. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if if we were to start seeing it in the next 10 years. Um, and I'm, I'm very hopeful about it, but no promises. <laughs> You know, what are the main hurdles then to stop it? Why do you think it would take 10 years for that to happen, mm. not five years? Yeah. So uh, similar to what I what I had mentioned earlier about the significant costs that are associated with building these factories, as well as the materials that go into the factory builds, I think right now that's a hurdle. But um, again, that that's definitely something that we're aiming to address. And so, you know, give us 10 years and, and we'll see where we are in terms of factory costs. Um, I I think some other some other challenges around it that maybe uh, you know people are only now starting to realize is um, the the amount of nutrients that are needed in order to produce the amount of meat that we would want to produce in order to you know uh, replace quite a bit of, of of meat consumption in um, on a global scale. So when when you think about the media formulation and you you think about the media uh, in general. Um, for a very long time, everyone was laser focused on growth factors. Growth factors were the big cost. Um, we had to, you know, we needed growth factors or else we were going to have to use animal components such as serum. So everybody was losing their mind about how are we going to figure out, you know, growth factors. But the thing is, is that yes, growth factors are very, very expensive when you're working with them in your little research lab. But when you're moving into, you know, really, really large production, that's when economies of scale is on your side. And, you know, I think the last time I looked at the cost of insulin, you could produce it for like a dollar a gram. And so when you're producing something at such a large scale, and there's enough of the demand for it, it becomes insignificant when it comes to the the cost of, of the nutrients that are going into the media. And so I think that while it makes sense for people to be focusing on, on growth factors and, you know, engineering cells to not need growth factors and developing, you know, networks and building up companies that are focusing on scaling up growth factors, I don't necessarily see growth factors as, you know, as, as limiting anymore. Um, in reality, I think that the much bigger hurdle are the nutrients that are going into the media in the form of the amino acids, the vitamins, the minerals, the lipids, the carbohydrates, worse. All of these nutrients are like the, the amount of meat that we would want to produce. We're going to need five to 10 times more of, of nutrients uh, going into the process. And, and so let's see. Okay. According to chat GPT, uh, the global annual meat uh, demand is around 340 million metric tons. We're going to roll like round that down to 300 million because I can't do math in my head. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then let's say that we just want to address a third of that consumption again, because it's easier to do the math that way. So um, we're looking at, we're hoping to be able to produce a hundred million metric tons every single year of cultivated meat. 
Um, and that's something that I really feel like we're going to need to be able to do if we want to offset global catastrophe. Um, 100 million metric tons of cultivated meat, that means that we're going to need 10 times that in of, of components that are going into the media. So what's what's 10 times 100 million? Is that See, I can't, I can't even do this in my head. I can't do math in my head. Lots. A billion. <laughs> yeah, a billion. Okay. So we're yes. going to need a billion, a billion metric tons of amino acids, vitamins, minerals, lipids, carbohydrate sources going into the cultivated meat industry every single year. And if you look at where the nutrients are currently coming from, so if you go and buy a media formulation, go buy some DMF12 off the shelf from Thermo Fisher, the media components, there's like 60 of them in there, but they're all coming from fermentation. They're, they're all made individually using, using microbial systems, fermentation to produce these individual amino acids and vitamins and minerals. And for me, it doesn't make sense for us to be growing, you know, 10 times as much of these nutrients for them to then just be funneled into cultivated meat. Um, because the the current factory, you know, that we're trying to to build right now, that means, you know, if we build, let's see, if we need 100 million metric tons a year, and one factory is able to make 10,000 metric tons uh, a year, then we would need what 10,000 factories. So if we're building 10,000 factories to make cultivated meat, and then we're going to need to build 10 times as many fermentation facilities in order to make the components needed to be fed to the meat. Um, so instead, we need to be coming up with with uh, novel solutions to where we're going to be getting these components from. So the the first thing that comes to my mind is is hydrolysate. So basically, taking the the nutrients that are normally given to to animals that are grown for food, things like soybeans and corn and wheat, and basically throwing them into a big vat of acid, and so that they're all kind of digested into the individual building blocks that cells can then use to make more cells. Um, and then from there, we, we wouldn't have to be producing each of these individual components on a fermentation based based scale, we would be, you know, going out into the fields and harvesting our soybeans, throwing them in a vat, filtering them out. And, and, you know, I think it would be a combination of things and we would still need to add a few different nutrients here and there here and there but the bulk of our media formulation wouldn't be based off of fermentation based ingredients so that's another big challenge that uh, i don't think people are really focusing on enough i mean that's really interesting you know i don't have a background in science but you explained that in a way that i could understand quite well but oh, so, <laughs> yeah in regard to um in regard to the amount that we would you know the kind of billion tons um of these nutrients that you'd be feeding mm. the um you know feeding the formula how does that kind of weigh up to the amount that we sort of currently feed to animals kind of generally so i mean yes. that is still saving us an awful lot of space isn't it i think so yeah that's a good question i haven't done the direct calculation but indirectly um so i think the assumption I made when I was doing the billion ton calculation is that we, our media is only like 10% efficient. So like a hundred grams of nutrients go in and 10 grams of biomass comes out, which by the way, that's, you know, that's a fair assumption, but there are certainly companies that have gotten to 20% efficiency and we have actually gotten to 50% efficiency. So, you know, if we use our system, we could drop that a uh, billion down to 500 million. Um, but 
the uh, the question that you had around how that compares to you know to conventional meat. Um, if you look at the caloric intake, I think it's like a four percent efficiency for a cow. So I think we're we're in the clear. We're at least twice as good as a cow. <laughs> so um, so I think that there is. Yeah, we have the space and we have the nutrients, we have the capacity to to provide cultivated meat with, you know, with the nutrition that it needs to grow. Um, so I'm not too worried about that. I'm just, you know, we just need to be focusing more on how to take these raw materials and actually uh, turn them into a, a usable resource for our meat. And so there is still going to be a, a big, um, a big demand for farmers and farming to absolutely uh, absolutely the, the ingredients yeah. for the formula you got it yeah I, I think that you know we do get questions sometimes about oh you know what about the farmers the you know job insecurity is this something that we should be worried about and i think if you're a plant-based farmer you're you're set. <laughs> You're set for generations. We're always going to need plants. And then for the folks that are currently uh, farming animals, I think that the transition to cultivated meat is going to be a gradual one. It probably you're probably not going to be out of a job, you know, within your lifetime or even the next generation. Three generations from now, I'm I'm hopeful. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, there's there's also several programs that are being you know developed right now to help with that transition for farmers that either um, that would like to translate or uh, transition into um, you know plant based farming or even into to cultivated meat uh, because a lot of the um, techniques and the and the mindset is very similar. Even some of the um, you know the the barn structures and and some of the raw materials materials can be kind of, um, you know, tra transferred into, you know, into parts of, of cultivated meat facilities. So there's definitely ongoing activity into what that transition will look like. You know, there is quite a sort of kickback, I suspect, from mm. big meat in the same way that it was there with big tobacco and big oil, that they will be putting a lot of money into driving back this kind of development of cultured meat. Yeah. What do you think um, about that? How do you feel about that? So in my experience, uh, when, you know, when we, when we have dialogue with large meat companies, at least um, they're, you know, I think meat companies, you know, they're, they're used to getting meat from, from farmers, but in the end they're from, from the dialogues that we've had, they're happy as long as it's meat, they're, you know, they don't necessarily care what, where it's coming from. And if it's coming from a more ethical source and a more sustainable source, then they're even more excited about it. that because, um, especially in Scandinavia and Sweden, there's, there's quite a bit of pressure to, you know, start making changes to be a more sustainable country, um, which is a really, really incredible benefit. Um, and so when we've had dialogues with large meat producers, uh, they're, you know, it's, it's generally very, very positive. And then when it comes to individual farmers, um, I think that a lot of times I've, I've only had dialogues with, with one. So I, I personally, you know, can't speak to all of the farmers out there, but, um, you know, I've, I've only spoken with one farmer about, you know, cultivated meat kind of taking over. Um, but then I've talked to so, 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 so many farmers just about, you know, being a farmer in, in general and their relationship with their animals and what they care about. And I've never met a farmer who didn't love their animals and who didn't hate slaughtering, didn't hate that process. And so I think that uh, when when people have the opportunity to see that 
they, you know, can help provide the world with meat without having to kill the animals that they love so much. And that I think that it opens up so many new possibilities as to what they can do with their lives and what they would want to do with their lives. Because I think a lot of farmers, you know, they get into it. It's a, it's a family business or they've always, you know, wanted to live on a farm and work with animals and be outside and, and provide for others. Um, and, and they don't, they don't want to kill. They don't want to hurt. They, you know, they care so much about their animals and it's just that, you know, in the past, the only way to make meat was, was to kill and to harm. Um, and so that's, that's not what farmers are in it for. Um, and I think that if we can give them options where they can still have, you know, a very similar lifestyle and still be providing the meat, uh, you know, meat for others, then I think that, I think that a lot of them are going to actually enjoy this more. Mm, it's very positive. Um, you know, some, I mean, I haven't managed to speak to any farmers yet, but I have asked a couple to sort of come on and speak on the podcast. So if, if you know one that might like to, then please put them in touch. Okay. Um, and what do you think about, um, about milk that's going to hit the markets much sooner than meat and um you know we could see it on the you know on the shelves in the next couple of years or something have you, you know honestly um it's my understanding that there already are a few cultivated milk products on the market at least in america um perfect day has um partnered up with a few a uh, few companies and they make a really great ice cream um so yes it's actually it's already there to be fair it's it's not the whole you know it's not all of milk. It, I believe it's the, the casein protein that kind of gives milk that, um, that, you know, that creamy texture and is also what makes milk addictive, by the way. Um, but that's, that's another discussion. Um, so yes, it, it's already here, whether or not it's in Europe, uh, maybe, maybe not yet, because it does involve some, um, you know, the, the milk protein itself isn't genetically modified. You can't genetically modify a protein because there's no DNA in protein, but it is coming from um, an, a uh, microbial source that is genetically modified to produce the protein. So there might be a little bit more uh, of a regulatory hurdle here in the EU, but it is definitely already being sold in the US mm -hmm. in ice cream form, at least, which in my opinion is the best form of milk anyways. Okay. Okay. Well, as a last question, um, because you are a cultivated meat expert, is there anything um, about the science or industry as an insider which might surprise people? But I can uh, I can give maybe a few words of advice around um, the focus of the industry. Um, yeah. As I mentioned earlier, when we when we started in this world. Um, we were just as a whole, we were so focused on, on making that T-bone steak, making the perfect cultivated meat product. Um, and over time, you know, we've realized that there are so, so, so many challenges associated with just scaling up the biomass that we would need in order to then, uh, you know, form these, these products, be it through 3D printing or, or tissue formation, you know, differentiation. Um, and I think that while it's, you know, it's a valiant effort that so many people are, are focusing on this. We need more people, more companies, more researchers focusing on large scale biomass production. Um, because when you look at the average consumer, most people aren't even going to be able to tell the difference between, say, a, a, a conventional chicken nugget and a, a plant based chicken nugget. But when you tell them that it's plant based, suddenly there's differences there. Um, and so 
I'm not saying that we need to to trick people into thinking that they're eating conventional meat when they're eating plant-based. But what I am saying is that there are technologies there that have been developed and leveraged by the plant-based meat uh, industry that are incredible when it comes to creating texture, when it comes to creating the appearance of meat, when it comes to the flavor. And, you know, I think I have a kind of a... Um, a benefit of of being plant-based for for the past uh gosh i guess 10 10 ish years i i can't i can't keep track anymore but i've been exposed to a lot of these products because it's it's generally what i eat and so you know there's you know new products coming out on the market all the time and i think that a lot of people um especially in this industry who have maybe maybe had one or two plant-based uh burgers or meatballs or chicken nuts and you know they experienced it once and it wasn't like mind-blowing to them and they thought oh we need to do more um because they haven't exposed themselves enough to this plant-based meat technology they don't understand how far along it has already come and how if if you were to say take a take your your biomass and put it into an extruder and then compare that product to biomass that has then been uh, used to uh, to to develop a tissue using biologics such as differentiation nine times out of ten you're not going to be able to tell the difference in fact the extruded product is probably going to have even better texture and it is much cheaper it's so much easier to do there's so much uh, less potential for contamination risk which is a, a huge hurdle um, it takes a lot less time and so again i think that it is incredibly important that we figure out how to make these you know incredible you know t-bone steaks and and, and tissue tissue engineered products but that's something that too many people are focusing on right now. And we've gotten to a point where we we need more people to focus on scaling up. And then we can think more about optimizing our product further. I think I've learned more from this podcast than I have from any of the other ones. It's, it's, it's This has been really helpful for me personally. Um, okay, one last thing. You know, I've asked uh, all my guests this um, to... Um, to if they can predict which country they think will will approve um, approve cultivated meat next, we've had Singapore, we've had the USA. Who do you think is going to be next? Like I mean, as I a whole, not Sweden, country? because uh, you know you've said already <laughs> that Sweden doesn't really have a cultivated meat industry yeah. as such. So does it have to be a whole country, or can we count it as just like a little area? We can count it as a little area. Yes. Go okay. On. Um, I would not be surprised if Cape Town approved cultivated meat next. I would not be surprised in the slightest. Okay, Cape Town. But if yeah. it's Cape Town, then surely that's all of South Africa, isn't it? Uh, you know, South African, the South African government is a little bit different than what most of us are used to. And <laughs> it's my understanding that these sorts of decisions are made on a, on a local scale. Um, and and uh, I know that Mizanzi is having some really um, really great discussions with the with the the local government over there, and I, I think that it is something that if it's approved, it doesn't necessarily have to be all of South Africa. Okay, okay, all right. Well, that's really good information. Um, thank you very much, Marie. It's been wonderful talking to you, and uh, perhaps we'll catch up again in the future when there's um, some new uh, you know breakthroughs. Um, and um, thanks for talking on the podcast absolutely it was great meeting you great great chatting with you and yeah have a wonderful rest of your day 